You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 John. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look at one, use one there in the pew in front of you. If you don't own a Bible and you would like a Bible, you can take that with you. Those Bibles are meant to be given away, and so that is our gift to you. Two weeks ago, we started a series going through the book of 1 John, studying and finding out what a true, authentic Christian is. We've talked about how many times in our lives we want authenticity. If we're a collector, we want it to be authentic. One thing I'm collecting right now is autographed baseballs from the 2015 uh, Royals team. I was hoping to be doing the same thing for a Super Bowl champion uh, with the Chiefs this year, but that didn't happen, and we won't talk about that today. But uh, we'll just act like it didn't happen last Sunday. But if we collect something, if you collect autographs or any kind of collectible, you want it to be authentic. You don't want to fake. Even in our own country, we have the Secret Service, yes, that protects the president, but it was established to make sure that counterfeit money to help uh, help, uh, make sure that that doesn't happen. The Secret Service is really there to make sure that money isn't just printed at will and uh, we don't have a bunch of counterfeit money floating around our countries because we want real money. You want authentic money. Well, God desires, even in our own personal relationships with one another, we want people to be authentic and real. But God wants us to be sure that we are real, authentic Christians. We have talked about, we've asked ourselves the question that we can understand and know that we can go to church for decades upon decades upon decades, and we can be just as lost and unsaved as someone who had never stepped foot in church. In fact, I believe one of the most dangerous places we can be is in the church, because we can develop a false sense of spiritual reality and begin to think, I'm a pretty good person. Therefore, I go to church and I may give money, I may even volunteer, and so therefore I'm earning some kind of favor with God. And if we're not careful, our spiritual psychology can become a works-based salvation. And we can be and do that for decades upon decades and feel and believe that we are truly saved when all we've been doing is just some religious act. We can begin to think, well, I am a Christian. I have a relationship with Christ because I walked an aisle, because I said a prayer, because I got baptized. And when we look at that, those are just another form of works. And so together we are discovering what does a real, authentic Christian look like. 
Two weeks ago, we saw that an authentic Christian is someone that has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And so because of that reality of the Holy Spirit within the believer, we feel that conviction of sin, that if we sin and we are going to sin as believers, as we sin, there's going to be friction there. There's going to be conflict there. There's going to be a feeling that something is not right. And if we don't feel that, if we can sin and feel not, we're not talking about guilt, we're talking about conviction. They're two different things. And if we can do, if we can sin and be and live against God and not feel that conviction, that feeling of being miserable in our sin, then we really ought to look at ourselves and examine, are we truly even in the faith? We also talked about an authentic Christian is going to be transparent about their sin. They're going to be real about their sin. They're not going to cover up their sin and their sinful nature. They're not going to live in a way of a spiritual facade as of having it all together. But a real Christian is going to understand who they are compared to the holiness of God. We saw last week that John gave us here in the book of 1 John that another evidence of an authentic Christian is obedience to God, becoming more like Christ. We used, we taught, we used the illustration of marriage that as Christians, we are in a relationship with Christ, and as married couples do, they become more and more like each other. And so as believers that are, we are married to Christ, because of that relationship with Christ, we're going to become more and more like Christ, progressively becoming more like Jesus. That's called sanctification. And so we'll have that evidence of our life as a true believer, as looking back on our spiritual lives of becoming more like Jesus, thinking more like Jesus thought and thinks. And then last week, we closed with an authentic Christian is going to have a real love for their brother or sister. They're going to love the church because a Christian understands that we are all broken, we are all sinful, and so we're all in the same standing. We have that in common. Well, this week, we're going to see some assurances of our salvation. We need to remember that John, the writer of the of First John was also the writer of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John was written for unbelievers, and he writes this to believers. Many of these believers, as we're going to see here in just a second, they had had false teachers infiltrating their, their churches, and because of the false doctrine being spread throughout the church, all kinds of doubt had begun to happen. And so we're going to see how John addressed that. So look at verse 12 with me. It's where we left off last week. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12, and John writes, I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. As we read this, remember, the readers of this book were people who had been, they had been infiltrated by false teachers. 
all kinds of false teaching have been, was beginning to be spread through the early church. Satan had been taking false doctrine, bad theology, and using that to sprinkle it into the early church to stop the spread of the gospel. Of course, that didn't stop the spread of the gospel because you and I sit here today. But one of Satan's tactics in hurting the church and stopping the church and infiltrating the church is bad theology, is false doctrine. And so what John is doing here, it's almost like a coach walking into a locker room and telling his team, you can do this. Reassuring the team. It's almost like a parent telling a a young toddler that's learning to walk, telling that child, you can do this. Come on, take that step. And that child may fall and, and the parent helps them back up. We see here John having a tone of reassurance of reminding of reminding these believers 2000 years ago and us today of reminding us of who Christ is and who we are in Christ because it can be easy for us to doubt Christ and the gospel even today in our culture our culture is becoming more if it ever was anti-christian And so we can see and hear what our culture is doing, and we can begin to think and have the idea that this none of this is real, or begin to doubt certain things about Christ and doubt certain things about Scripture. Is Scripture completely accurate? Is it true? And we can be filled with all kinds of doubts. We can have the idea that if I sin, therefore I may lose my salvation, that I am, I am not perfect. We can allow Satan to whisper lies in our ears of that as we sin, that we may not be even truly believers. But as we saw last week, we have an advocate in Christ Jesus. And so we see all this, and we can, it's easy in our Christian lives to doubt. And if you are here this morning and you're a believer, there have been those moments of doubt That's normal. That happens. And one of two things can happen. We can grow stronger in our faith as the Holy Spirit reveals to us more truth about Him, or we can grow weaker and drift and doubt. And so John writes here, he says, I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven. He reminds the believer that our sins are forgiven. We do have forgiveness. That there is no one that is too bad for God. There's no one that's unsavable. He says, I am writing to you because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. He's saying you've come to know Christ and his eternal nature. He goes on the right. He says, I'm writing to you because you have conquered the evil one. Even as Paul wrote, Paul wrote, he says, we are more than what? Conquerors through Christ. And we have conquered the evil one as believers. He writes and he says, the one who is from the beginning, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. He says, because you are strong. Isn't that assuring for someone to tell us you are strong? 
I remember when I was in middle school, I was not good at algebra because it made no sense to me to have letters involved with math. That does not make sense. And I still, if you're a math teacher today, I'm sorry, but it doesn't make sense. And I remember my parents were so concerned for me because I wasn't good at algebra. They got me an algebra tutor. And I remember that tutor sitting down with telling me and saying, Adam, you are smart. I needed to hear that because in my teenage mind, I was dumb and I couldn't get it. And John reassures these believers and he says, you are strong. And he says, God's word remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. So if you are here this morning and you are going through some kind of difficult life circumstance, and I know that list is endless, and so I'm not even going to start listing those off, and you have begun to perhaps doubt God's love for you, and you have begun to doubt the truth of God, let me remind you on the basis and authority of Scripture that your sins have been forgiven, that you as a believer have conquered the evil one, that you have come to know and you're growing to know the one who is from the beginning, that you are strong not because of who you are or because you are trusting in your own strength and ability, but that Christ has made us strong, that God's word remains in us, and again, we have conquered the evil one. Jesus even gave his own disciples a reassurance in John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus told his disciples, he says, I give them eternal life. Who is Jesus talking about? Them. Who is he talking about? You and me, the church. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, we are in the hand of Christ, and we cannot be taken out of his hand. Don't let anyone tell you you can lose your salvation. Once you are a believer, you are eternally secure. It's called eternal security. You are in the hand of Christ, and no one, not even the evil one, can snatch you out of his hand. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 that our salvation is sealed. It is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. So let that reassure us and assure us who we are in Christ. Sometimes it's helpful for us to be reminded of who we are. And we have promises consistently sprinkled throughout Scripture. Let's keep going. Look at verse 15. John gives us a warning here. He says, "'Do not love the world or the things in the world.'" If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
and the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. As we read these three verses, there's something really important that we need to define. We see the word world mentioned here four times in three verses. So there's a point that is trying to be gotten across, okay? So whenever we read Scripture and we see something repeated, that's telling us there's a point trying to be gotten across, okay? Now, we need to understand what this definition of the world, because if we're not careful, we can use a bad definition here to cause us to live in a wrong way. So when we read, do not love the world or the things in the world, we can initially think, wait, something's off here. Because didn't it say in the gospel of John, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world? So if God loves the world, so as we as believers, shouldn't we love the world too? So we have to come to a correct definition here on what world means here. So what John is talking about here is different than what he talks about in John chapter 3. When it says, for God so loved the world, what's he talking about? He loved the people of the world. Okay, it's not the globe. It's not nature. It's he loved us, the people of the world. John's giving a different definition of the world here. He is, call, he is calling the world is the world is the system that opposes God. All right? So as we read it here, this definition is the system, the worldly system that opposes God. That that fallen nature in our world, that part of it is because of how we live as humans and the, the, the curse of sin upon the world. The world is a system that poses God. So he says here, do not love the world or the things in the world. So that worldly system that opposes God, there's going to be a drastic difference between a true authentic believer and the world. There's going to be a difference there. We are going to talk different. We are going to sound different. There is going to be a drastic difference in our lives. But let me give us another warning in this. Because if we're not careful, we can throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because what happens in some Christian circles and some flavors of Christianity, we'll take this do not love the world, and what happens? We create these holy huddles. We, we, we get really tight and close. We create these Christian bubbles, and we try to block out everything in the world. We do everything possible that we can possibly do, and there are even some religious belief systems that are coming to my mind right now. I'm not going to call any of them out, but that's how they live. I'm not going to allow anything in my life, whether it's even technology or some of the conveniences of our world. I am going to just live in this archaic world bubble of Christianity. I lived in a world like that, similar, and, you know, being in a Christian school and a Christian church, and it was just this bubble-wrapped Christianity because we did not want to be infiltrated by the world. So if we're not careful, we can 
throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're not called to huddle in here and create a little village and just not allow anything from the outside world to affect us, okay? Because that's a cult. <laughs> that's not what we're called to do. What, we, what John is talking about here is we do not love the worldly system, the things of the world. He even takes it a step further, because he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So here's basically what is a warning against. It's pure, utter idolatry. It's the warning John gives, John gives us. It's because every one of our hearts is tugged at love and our affection. And the world wants to, the worldly system wants to pull our affections away from God wants us to fall in love with everything else but God. Even good things that maybe not in themselves, and we'll get to this in a moment, that are in and of themselves not bad, but it can pull our affections away from God. And so John says that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. So John is saying that a authentic, true believers' affections are going to be set on those things that are not temporal, but eternal. Jesus even talked about that with his disciples. He warned constantly about that idea of materialism. And so John repeats that, and he, re he, he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's, and he says, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. So let's break this down for us here in 2019 as Americans. It is so easy for us to take that pride in one's possessions. It is so easy for us as Americans, and I believe that Christianity is at such at a decline, at a rapid rate in America because we have lots of stuff. We are so materialistic. We find all of our eternal security in our things. David Platt writes in his book Radical, he says, we desperately need to understand how much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much of it is biblical. What in the world is Platt talking about when he says that? This, we can have this idea that if I have a lot of things, and every one of us in this room are filthy rich. We are filthy, filthy rich when we look at the rest of the world. We are the wealthiest nation on, on, on the face of the planet. But if we're not careful, we can begin to think that God loves us more as Americans because of our wealth. We can begin to think because I have nice cars and we have comfortable homes and clothes and food to wear. And none of those things are bad. Don't hear me wrong. But when we find our security and our joy and our affection set on any of that, we need to call into question where are we truly placing our security in. And it's easy for us to think, because I have all these things, 
therefore God loves me more. And that is purely and simply nothing more than prosperity gospel. So we must be very, very careful to understand and explore how much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much of it is truly biblical. Because eternity is at stake. Because if we have a misunderstanding of what the gospel truly is, we can be as Christ told his disciples. He said, there will be many that will stand before me on that day and will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do a lot of good things? Didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And Jesus said, I will see them and I will say, depart from me, you wicked ones. And so we must have a correct and true biblical understanding of the gospel. And if we're not even careful, we can go to the exact opposite of that. We can think, I am so sacrificial. I don't have a lot of money. I am so sacrificial. I go to lots of Bible studies, and I give, and I do all of these really good things. And what we what can happen is those things, those we can begin to fall in love with that, and we can fall in love with Scripture, and we can fall in love with the church, and we can fall in love with everything else, but totally, completely miss it. And we must ask ourselves how much of our understanding of the gospel is American, how much of our understanding of the gospel is church, and how much of it is truly biblical. Because there is so, so much at stake. We may be a believer, and if we're not careful, we can even communicate to someone and say, well, being a true believer is being really busy by going to church and going to Bible studies and giving money and doing all of these things. And if we're not careful, if we as the church do that, then we are doing nothing more than teaching a works-based salvation. When in reality, salvation is relationship. And as Jesus said in John 13, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Jesus went on and told his disciples, abide in me. Don't abide in your financial security. Don't abide in your going to church. Don't abide. Abide in anything of the world, because when, the we, when we do abide in anything of the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. And John just calls it out like it is. He says, for everything in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world, and he says, this is why, verse 17, we close with this, and the world with its lusts is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. So as authentic believers, we have the assurance of the gospel. We have the assurance that our sins have been forgiven. As we saw last week, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That we as believers, we have conquered the evil one. 
God's word remains in us. And as we understand that, we don't love the worldly system. We love Christ. We're in love with Christ. And our assurance is not found in what we have and what we do, but in who Christ is. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music